0: Yeah, we did long distance for a long, long time. And then when I went to grad school, Noah had finished college. Is that right now? I have to think back. This feels like a um, million thousand years ago.
1: One year, one year
0: in. One year in, yeah. And I then, joined you. Yeah. And then I think from there, we got engaged, married after that. But even then, we were separate because I was in D.C. working. We done, yeah. Noah was doing prep for his master's. So we were always kind of everywhere. And in our marriage vows, actually, we talk a lot about home and how where we are together is our home. And we weren't going to hold each other back in that sense from individual goals or where we were going, which is just so funny because they ended up, of course, like intersecting and we're running a company together.
2: We love talking to couplepreneurs who have built successful businesses. And one of the keys to a successful business is effective marketing. Luckily, Gabby and I run a B2B digital marketing agency called Proofpoint Marketing. Our team specializes in driving profitable revenue for technology and manufacturing companies by diving deep into customer insights. We really strive to understand the customer. We build out the ideal customer profile and personas. And using that, we create highly targeted demand generation and performance marketing campaigns. We are offering a free consultation for our listeners. This isn't just a sales call, and it isn't us simply giving you a canned automated audit report. We are going to do our due diligence prior to the call. The plan is to talk about real marketing issues your organization is facing and discuss potential solutions. Head on over to proofpoint.marketing and get in touch. We look forward to hearing from you.
3: Join us in Mixing Business with Pleasure, a podcast about loving your work and working with your love. Your hosts, Mike and Gabby, are entrepreneurs who have found their passion in both their personal and professional relationship. The pair who swore never to work with each other are now working happily together side by side in love, life, and business. Tune in each week as we feature co-founders who are also lovers and are proving that business and pleasure really do mix well together.
4: Welcome back to the Mixing Business with Pleasure podcast, the show all about loving your work and working with your love. If you're tuning in for the first time, it's great to have you here. And if you're one of our longtime listeners, thank you so much for your continued support. Today's guests, Amanda Greenberg and Noah Bornstein, are married entrepreneurs and parents to two little ones. Together, they run their co-founded business, Balloon, a SaaS platform dedicated to transforming how teams interact. Before founding Balloon in 2015, Amanda was a public health researcher in Washington, D.C. In that role, she discovered the way many of us collaborate at work is fundamentally broken. Business tools and processes such as meetings, email threads, and group chats don't necessarily address the way our brains really work in a group setting. They also don't address how we share information or how we make decisions. As a response to this epiphany, Balloon was founded to bring behavioral science and technology expertise together to unlock the true value of collaboration by removing cognitive bias and group dynamics. Amanda and Noah didn't initially anticipate working together, but as you'll hear on this episode, it's obvious they make an incredible team. Noah has a background as an engineer, and he brings his technical expertise to the table while Amanda leads the business as the CEO. And while they are opposites in many ways, these two are completely aligned in work ethic, ambition, and drive. They're continually motivated to find new ways to lead and to help others do the same. We know you're going to enjoy this episode as much as we enjoyed recording it. And we know you're going to be learning so much from both Amanda and Noah about starting a company and scaling a business while growing a family. Sit back and enjoy the show.
2: All right, Noah and Amanda, welcome to
4: the show. Hi, thanks for having us. We are so excited to have you guys on the show. So everyone listening, we have co-founders of Balloon, Amanda Greenberg and Noah. Welcome, you guys. Thank you. We're excited. All right. We ask all of our guests some simple questions at the beginning. So we will ask you guys the same questions. Work and love are both four-letter words. So what are your favorite four-letter words? (laughs) oh i know that's a
2: normal reaction
0: by the way
4: we always get it's so funny everyone is like they're waiting for like something huge and then we're like uh (laughs) what word what word i have one i have one
0: Mm -hmm. wake which is our first son's uh name okay So that I think is like my favorite word in the whole world, probably.
4: That's a very interesting name. So there's got to be a story behind that.
0: <laughs> there is somewhat. We so we have a hyphenated last name. Our kids have a hyphenated last name. We both have our individual names, and we wanted something short and something high energy, and we just love the word wake. It's an it's actually an old, I think, an English name. Mm-hmm. Is that right? That means watchman, which I also love that meaning. And I hadn't heard of a lot of wakes. Our second son's name is Range. So we like kind of unique names, but yeah, high energy, quick to say, and he really fits him once he was born. And now we, of course, really know his personality. We're like, yeah, he's awake. It's like the perfect name.
4: That's awesome. I love that. Okay, Noah, you're up. Well, life. That's a good one. I love that. That's the first time anyone has said that. Wait. Well, wake is definitely the first on the show, but <laughs> life is a really good one. Do you have
1: a most common?
4: what are the most common? We've things? heard
1: hope a lot.
2: Hope has been mentioned a number of times.
4: We get, you know, some people use five letter words or three letter words, which is fine. We're like, okay, you know, we'll be flexible. We've heard food. <laughs> the
2: F-bomb has been a favorite. The
4: F-bomb has, has appeared a couple of times now. Food is always one that shows up. I mean, who doesn't like food, right? Oh, that's I, a good yeah. Wine. Wine is one that we've heard a few times and I'm, I'm good with that. A lot of times people choose the names of their kids. So we've had a couple of like four letter child or their spouses or their, spouses, oh, yeah, um, or their dogs. You they- didn't
1: say mine. I name, didn't
4: say no. So, for the record, I skipped right over you. No, we, we
2: are not licensed therapists. We're going to let you guys figure that one out yeah. on your own. <laughs>
4: to be fair if i was being that question i would choose my daughter's name lana lana over mike i would because you know i just my daughter you 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 know (laughs) she's my favorite person in the whole world i wouldn't be who i am today if it wasn't for her so i know what i'm sorry you and mike can commiserate but i get it um (laughs) but i love the word life tell me why you chose that
1: i don't I, i think it's similar to hope in know like or at least that that's the way that I feel like it is kind of all in, all encompassing. Um and it was the first word that kind of came to my mind when when you said love and work because that kind of is our life in a sense.
4: That's deep. That's deep. And that is deep. <laughs> if you guys have another kid, you could name him or her life. There that's another child name. <laughs> I feel like that was
0: on our list or live was on our list. Yeah. Some yeah. Some sense of light.
4: Something like that. Well, this is not that kind of a show, so we won't talk about that stuff, but I love you guys sharing this stuff because every time we ask this question, we get the same reaction of like, oh shit, I have to ask, answer this question. I wasn't prepared for that. And then we end up learning so much about our guests and it it, somehow those two words, the words that you say in the beginning of this show, end up becoming a thread throughout the conversation, whether you realize it or not. I can prove this now, we've recorded 20 episodes and you can listen to all 20 of them if you want and you'll see that that is the case but let's uh I have another question for you guys and hopefully this shouldn't trip you up what came first business or love oh love okay hey, tell us about your love story <laughs> so we we've known each other our whole lives
0: so we played on the same t-ball team when we were five and six years old my dad, was, my dad was the coach yeah I know his dad was our coach he said that I was a surprisingly fast runner which is like the <laughs> joke And I was in like the outfield (laughs) and yeah. And then we, I guess, started dating kind of in high school, but we weren't really high school sweethearts because I was a year older and heading off to college far away, but we did long distance and yeah. And then we've been married almost 11 years.
4: Wow. Congratulations. So So you guys have known each other since even before you knew what love was what dating was you guys were in your lives from a very early point were you always good buddies kind of friendly or just no not really well, uh, I mean, <laughs>
1: <laughs> she's a, a grade uh, older. older and so yeah I guess like we knew each other but you know it's a small town you kind of know Everybody, Um, everybody, but we really weren't like good friends until probably uh, late in high school.
4: Gotcha. Gotcha. Awesome. So I I see that you went to school on the East Coast, right, Amanda? Yeah, you're doing long distance. When? So tell us a little bit about how you guys came back. And when did that happen? And kind of connect the dots for us in that part of the story.
0: Yeah, we did long distance for a long, long time. And then when I went to grad school, Noah had finished college. Is that right now? I have to think back. This feels like a Um, million thousand years ago.
1: One year in.
0: One year in. Yeah. I joined you. Yeah. And then I think from there, we got engaged, married after that. But even then, we were separate because I was in D.C. working. Noah was doing prep for his master's. So we were always kind of everywhere. And in our marriage vows, actually, we talk a lot about home and how where we are together is our home. And we weren't going to hold each other back in that sense from individual goals or where we were going, which is just so funny because they ended up, of course, like intersecting and we're running a company together. But, you know, it's just kind of how we did You
4: Did you have any inclination 'Cause you both have you both have pursued, you know, college and higher degrees. I'm fascinated by the fact that you maintained a long distance relationship through part of high school, college, and grad school. You were on different ends of the US. I'm fascinated by that story. Did you guys have any inclination that you might be running a business together at any point?
0: Not at all. I mean, really not at all. Because I was gonna go to medical school and Noah was getting his master's at Carnegie Mellon to be an engineer and a designer but when we look back on it we are like of course we would have always been perfect co-founders and now that we are co-founders we like can't imagine founding a company with anyone else it's like perfect complimentary I don't know how you can have another co-founder that's not your spouse in terms of how much trust and alignment and work ethic and all these things have to really come together so we can look back and be like wow this was like bigger than us in so many ways and maybe we always think like that was the pull to toward each other was that this was just you know in the universe and there and gonna happen no matter what we would we
2: would very much uh agree with that sentiment we at this point I don't know that we could work with well definitely not with another partner that's for sure yeah I don't
4: Um, think anyone would want to work with either of us at this point
2: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> there is that as well that's true so I, i'm curious i'm curious in terms of i'd love to jump in and you know, your path to being tech founders isn't wasn't necessarily linear in terms of your educational background and what you did career wise like you know uh no i know you you of switch career paths during college a bit looking at your profile and then amanda i know you you were in a uh, public health researcher, so how how did you end up where you are? How does those two people end up co-founding a tech company yeah
1: An idea.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it really was. It was centralized around the idea, the idea for balloon. And then an obsession with solving that problem and a shared obsession with solving that problem. And so I was still very much a public health researcher. It's where we really discovered the need for this, you know, and that our business tools and processes don't address how you know how we share information, how we make decisions as a team, and so I kind of was thinking about that. Noah also similarly was completing his master's in human-computer interaction. Is that what it's called? Human-computer yeah.
4: interaction. <laughs> um, Isn't that what we do yeah. every day? Human-computer interaction. I feel like I do that every day. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you are in it. You are in the study of human-computer interaction. We're gonna have to come back to that point and just dis- dissect that a little bit.
0: <laughs> I think it is so like, it, but it really was a key piece of this in that like it was, you know, how humans make decisions, how we collaborate together. So when Noah was getting his master's, we reached out to a group at Carnegie Mellon called Project Olympus and uh, Kit, Needham. Who's, Needham, who's there, really helped us and helped us kind of get this going and taught us so much about all the beginning pieces of this. And then from there we went into an accelerator and um, yeah, the rest is kind of history in terms of us growing the company. But yeah, that's how we kind of made that transition.
4: I'm fascinated by this, by your company. Our full-time job, Proofpoint Marketing, our digital marketing agency, we're still a little too small and young to be able to really benefit from this tool. But I told Mike, I said, man, when we grow to like 20 people in the agency, we are getting balloon. I don't care what you say, because I think it's phenomenal that um, (laughs) I think that what you're doing, what this tool is allowing companies to do and allowing executives from companies to do just... World class. It's it's in a class of its own. I mean, you you. It's even you know. Anyone that goes to your website, that goes to to look at you online, they will see that okay. There's you know there's Slack. There's other tools that allow for collaboration and asynchronous communication. But what Balloon does is just in a league of its own. So I'd love for you, from your own personal words, just to give us the overview of what Balloon is why you created it you kind of already touched a little bit about why but um but tell us tell us the what tell us what and how and ideally who this tool is for yeah absolutely so yeah i mean i
0: share a little bit of background but i was a researcher and really just discovered that all these things that we use and do slack surveys email threads meetings most importantly just don't address the way our brains work in a group setting. So how we as humans best share information, how we make decisions, how we collaborate. And what they don't account for, of course, are louder, more senior voices, dominating conversations, having a disproportionate say in decisions, and then people hold back best ideas, and most valuable authentic feedback, really just the truth because of a fear of failure or judgment. And ultimately, really costly problem, cost companies billions because they make bad decisions, They're slow to innovate. They waste a ton of time. And so we became really obsessed with this problem. It's crazy that it's such a common constraint. It's in every interaction in the workplace. It's in every group setting, but yet people have accepted it. It's also the largest untapped opportunity in the workplace and in group settings. Um, All these different barriers really get in the way. So we dove in and built Balloon kind of from the bottom up and aligned it with research for how you would build something where you would get the best, the most, and really the most diverse ideas, feedback, information from a group. So you can be a really informed leader. You can have alignment, especially when you think about asynchronous teams. Um, remote teams, and and also so that you can innovate and you can move really, really fast. Our product, I would say, reduces meeting time by 70% and 80% of what's shared on Balloon is brand new. So it hasn't been seen or heard in a company before. And then also you just hear from more people.
4: So Okay. So I want to, whoa. Amazing, first of all, amazing. I, I, there's so many things that I want to dig into there, and I know Mike is is formulating some really good questions. We have that cosmic connection. I can already tell. I know he's thinking of some good stuff. <laughs> um, I just want to repeat that for everybody listening, especially the people in the back. What you're saying is that your tool helps reduce internal company meeting time by seventy percent, which is probably. If I, if I had to take a wild guess, and I'm sure you have the answer one of the top reasons that people complain of lost productivity or not having enough time in their day or wasted meetings, wasted. Why is this person in the meeting? They're not contributing. But it sounds like a lot of the times, and this is maybe an unconscious bias, is people that are in the meeting are not contributing because they feel intimidated, maybe, or they feel like they don't have a voice within the company just yet to feel comfortable to contribute. So this, I mean, your tool is is really, I'm going to, I don't know if this is the right word, but democratizing the way that companies solicit and gather feedback from, from their team, which is amazing. And another yeah. stat that I found incredibly mind boggling is that you're telling us that 80% of information that your tool helps to gather for companies is brand new information within their own company. So within your own four walls of a company, you are gathering 80% new information that has never been shared or never been aired before. And that is phenomenal.
2: You know, obviously this is a cultural societal problem or a set of problems. Do you think that these can be solved through improve process and culture within organizations? Or do you think that technology is really the only and the best way to facilitate
0: this change? So we believe and research aligns that you really need technology because humans are just inherently biased and how we make, and there's just so many layers of cognitive bias. You know, there's, yeah, there's group dynamics, there's groupthink, there's anchoring bias, there's implicit biases, it's just the list goes on and on. But also there's just logistical challenges. Like if you ask a question in a meeting, you can't have a hundred people respond at once. And so with balloon, you give people space and time and introverts longer time to contribute and also to collaborate and form new, and this is where the newness of information comes in, that you can have anonymous collaboration. So you can have people who are really senior, maybe external to a company um, able to collaborate and build on each other's ideas or feedback or ask clarifying questions, et cetera, et cetera. So yeah, definitely requires technology.
2: Makes sense. I'm curious, you know, in terms of, and I'm, I couldn't tell from researching your uh, on your site whether Kind of what the algorithm is on the back end in terms of evaluating people's inputs, and I'm assuming you're you can talk a little bit about that.
4: It's probably secret, Mike. <laughs> well, I don't I don't need
2: the technical <laughs> details per se, but like, you know, really what I'm getting at is, you know, not everybody's input is created equal, right? I mean, people have different knowledge bases, different expertise, different exposure to projects, all that fun stuff. So. Does your system account for that when in terms of the kind of recommending, a, hey, here's the consensus decision?
0: Yeah, we we don't. We it's, it's an interesting question because we have a opinion, I would say. Um, would you call it opinion? I would say a research-backed opinion, which is that certain groups of individuals are really confident about their ideas and the correctness of their ideas or that their ideas are best. And other groups, of course, are not. And so we don't take that into account very deliberately because sometimes people will say, I'm an expert in this, but there's someone else in the company who probably has more expertise or more insights. And so we really weigh those equally. And our goal isn't to kind of be prescriptive and say, okay, here's the answer to a leader. We want them to be informed and know kind of where their team is prioritizing where there's shared sentiment where there's shared experience and less like this is the answer and rather this is the best information you're going to get to make a really informed answer.
2: I'm curious I don't I don't know if you can or want to answer this but I'm going to ask it anyway. Do you think there's any potential negative consequences for in, a, in an organization operating this way? Like is there a way that maybe all of a sudden you're maybe enabling I want to say groupthink right but enabling a, a decision that maybe is the wrong one?
0: So we are eliminating groupthink. So the way the approval voting and multi-voting system work, it gets rid of all of that. And then a leader knows where they might have a false start or where they might not have alignment, which can be just as powerful, right, as just having access to that information. But, you know, it's definitely a new category. It definitely requires a very confident leader, I would say. I, I think our all of our customers, we say that they're enlightened leaders, they're informed leaders, they're really strong in their organization. They're very senior leaders, and I think that that's an important part. You know, those of course are like our early champions. You know, we think that every team and every company in the world needs this. But yeah, but I, I think it is, you know, it's new and I think it's a forefront of, of that leadership approach. Noah,
4: too. I want to ask you a question. So you are the chief technology officer of Balloon. You, your background is in engineering. Is it computer engineering? Is that correct?
1: Um, Human-computer inter- interaction is kind of at the intersection of design um, computer science and um, psychology.
4: So. Awesome. So I th- this is okay. So then I think this question will be really good for you. You are creating, I mean, balloon isn't really in, in a ca- category of its own. It, As far as I can tell, maybe you guys know, I don't see any competitors that are doing anything quite like what you're doing. What are some of the challenges that you see Companies like, in terms of adding another tool to their already large tech stack, what are some of the challenges, Noah, that you see being hesitant or or leaders being hesitant to add this? And then, my second part of the question is, what are some of the cultural dynamics that you see where this tool is really thriving in some clients that you have?
1: People definitely have a lot of tools, and <laughs> uh, they <laughs> I think in some places they are hesitant to add another one just cuz you know they're using a million different you know SaaS products already. The thing is when you kind of show them the value that they can get from Balloon, they don't have another way to get that information and those insights. And so once you show them the value, then what are they going to say they don't they don't want that information or they you know um I mean,
4: well, let me so. let me play devil's advocate. I know okay, I know I asked you two questions, but let me play devil's advocate. What if somebody says, "Oh, well, I can do that with a Google Doc. I can just send out a Google Doc and then I'll get the feedback that I want." What's the rebuttal to that?
1: Well, they can't. I mean, that's that, I mean, that's the real answer is that they can't do it in a Google Doc or a survey or whatever they're whatever they're using. And so and we just explain how it's different from those things. And so that's kind of how we to kind of go about that question specifically the price points accessible um we made sure of that so that we can get like new customers on they can get the value from the product and all of those types of things going into your second question about the culture and setting where this tool kind of makes a lot of sense there's not one in particular i would say that those are kind of universal issues in any group Um, Not even just like companies and organizations, but literally any group, it's human psychology, just those inherent biases, not like in a pejorative sense, but like just the way that our brains work in a group setting. So they are most pronounced definitely in like large organizations with a lot of hierarchy where there's there's a boss, you know, probably a couple of very loud personalities, those types of things in particular. I think those are the teams where they especially find Balloon very helpful.
4: And I can speak now. I've worked at um, two large corporations prior to starting our company, Proofpoint. And I've also worked in both Mike and I, our background is in digital marketing. So we've worked at agencies. Mike's worked at startup. I've worked at large corporate. And I can, I can unequivocally say, and I think everything today can, can also nod their head and agree that in any company setting, large or small, there's always one or maybe a group of voices in the company that are dominant, whether they're right or wrong. Most often they're at the top of the company or very close to the top. But then but but then you do have a large majority or maybe a, a small minority of the company that disagrees and that greatly impacts the experience at the company, the culture, the dynamic communication between teams, and so on and so forth. So I really I'm just amazed by this tool and by how you guys found this problem and really created a solution for it because it's just as we've said earlier it's it's in a category of its own i do want to talk about something that's very interesting that maybe not a lot of people know i'm sure if they did the math they could figure that out but amanda and noah you guys started balloon as you were starting a family so you amanda you were pregnant with wake your first son while you were getting this company off the ground so Love to hear from both Amanda and Noah as new expectant parents, you know, parents to be, what was that experience like of starting a family, which is very personal and it's about the pleasures of your life, and also starting a business and then mixing together kind of, you know, like we're talking about here, mixing business with pleasure. So tell us a little bit about what was going through your heads at that time.
0: We're just (laughs) laughing because it was so absurd in wild.
4: so many ways.
0: Yeah, it really was. It was wild. I also think, you know, we just had our second son, and that was just such a different experience. The second time around is just so much easier, and it's also just so different, I think, even being pregnant and having a company the second time around. You know, you're just so much more comfortable talking about it, knowing what's going on with it, all those different pieces, but I would say the first time- The company's in a wildly different yeah, place than uh, it
1: was at, yeah, the, at that that's point. True.
0: You know, it was interesting. I also think it was a really creative time for us. I mean, I felt really creative just, you know, being pregnant and bringing new life into the world. I think there was just so much newness around us that that really drove us. And we felt and still feel like we're, you know, all parts of our life are really full. And that's a dream come true, I think, for for both of us in that way. It was wild. It really was wild. I pitched on a demo, like on a demo day stage, like six days after giving birth. And you know, just these kinds of things. We were closing a piloting customer from the birthing suite. Like Noah went into I'm the, the
1: I'm on a phone in the birthing suite in yeah. the bathroom.
0: <laughs> yeah, I was and like, go in the other room. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Just those wild. kinds
0: of things. We look back on each other and we're like. Some of these stories will take to the grave. And, no, you, you know, have to tell them to us other,
4: right now. We want to know.
1: <laughs> I mean, I think we probably, yeah. I mean, we it was uh, it was an accelerator, and we kind of you know we packed up a car and moved kind of halfway across the country. Yeah. We six months. Seven months. Seven then. months pregnant yeah. at the time. Walked in there, people were probably like this they're crazy yeah Yeah, I remember our
0: our advisor from the accelerator who's still one of our company advisors now Robert Krause he we didn't tell him and then he saw me the first day and he was like so when are you due like (laughs) (laughs) like what's going on here guys didn't tell me this one which we of course look back and laugh at like crazy now but um yeah it was wild
4: at any point throughout you know your 9 months gestation and and the gestation of the company did you ever think to yourselves we can't do this why are we doing this we we have a baby on the way let's put the company on hold let's 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 come back to it in 12 months were there any little voices of doubt or or fear that were saying my baby how am i going to take care of my family how am i going to be a mom how am i going to be a dad Tell us, we want to know these dirty secrets. (laughs) I don't feel like there were, like, I mean, I think that we,
0: I think that that's part of um, being so obsessed with the problem you're solving and also feeling like the company pulls you, like so much of this, um, I think for us is that. So I don't think that we had that moment. We did, uh, we, we bootstrapped and we moved in with our families in Ohio And that was just after he was born with the, you know, the plan of ultimately being, you know, moving to California, but having some additional support to build MVP of product and, you know, raise some pre-seed capital and then ultimately move. And I would say that part was the most difficult stage of growing the company. I mean, we had the newborn, we were just juggling so much. We flew out to California to close a customer when Wake was two months old so we were away from him for five days and we flew out there and we acted as if we lived out there like we flew out there and we were like oh yeah we were we had other meetings we didn't have any other meetings we flew out there to close that customer right it was just too big of an opportunity so those kinds of things you know you just have to make I think really brave fearless decisions in those first months yeah
1: yeah you know like we had those moments where like this is this is very unpleasant but it was (laughs) You know,
4: like, it's, Noah, it's, I feel but. I feel like you're sugarcoating. Yeah, right. yeah I mean,
1: it, it's, it's hard, right? Like, and it's pretty brutal. It's time, brutal, but yeah. I think throughout the entire company, I don't think we've ever come to it or had this feeling like, oh, we want to like quit because, like, we we understand, you know, we just got to keep going. We just get like one foot in front of the other, even when it gets really bad. It just it's always a roller coaster. It's up and down. But
0: good days always follow
4: the bad and, and it seems like in the wake of your son's birth is really when do you see what I did there? Uh yeah. is really when you guys kind of doubled down and said, no, we we're full speed ahead. We're moving forward. We believe in this. And you made some serious sacrifices. At that point you were a married couple for probably five years, four years. Then you have a baby and then you move in with your parents, which I will say, I mean, my mother-in-law listens to this podcast, so I'm not going to say anything bad. But when Mike and I were were newly engaged many moons ago, we moved in with my in-laws because we wanted to save money for a house and for a a second car and the wedding, which we contributed a, a fair amount to. So we moved in with his parents and we only lived there for 12, not even 12 months, it was 10 months. And while I'm eternally grateful to them for allowing us to do that, because it was me, Mike, and our German shepherd, who's a big guy, a hundred pound dog, he's still a hundred pounds, this guy. It was difficult. It was very challenging. We, we had, you know, there was privacy issues. There was just discomfort, you know, even in the best of relationships with your parents or in-laws, you want to have your privacy. So not only are you, you know, you've now been a married couple for quite some time. Now you have a newborn baby, which is difficult because you you think like, well, I, I'm the mother here, you know, and then you have grandparents that, are, of course, well-intentioned, we love grandparents, but they want to be involved, right? And sometimes if you're living with them, then they're really involved. <laughs> and we all in this group have Jewish parents, so we know how involved they are, right? <laughs> But that's amazing. So, uh, you guys, y- you moved across country, seven months pregnant, doing all this thing. This is just mind boggling. I'm amazed by it.
2: I'd love to just, you know, Amanda, you mentioned uh, funding and accelerator. And you, the way that you guys built and funded the company, you kind of ran the gamut, right? You started with bootstrapping, you went through a couple of accelerators, uh, you did some crowdfunding, I believe. And then you went the traditional VC route after that. Like, I'd love to d- dive into that and get your Thoughts on pros and cons of each, and you know, would you have done anything differently? Like, if you were to do this all over again today, would you skip any of those steps? Would you do you get VC funding sooner? Would you not get VC funding? Like, what? Uh, I'm curious on your your thoughts, sort of post mortem, if you will.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. We. Obviously, first time founding a company. So I think you look back and you're like, wow, if we did this again, we would do it when we do this again. I would say, like, we would do it all differently or just, yeah, tweak things. But I think that you can't skip steps, especially when it's your first company. And so each of those different pieces or things or decisions made us better leaders and better founders and taught us so much for upcoming decisions. We can look back at kind of that path, but um, we did whatever was necessary to grow the company. So, you know, obviously like what we are doing is still like new category and kind of at the forefront and different. Five years ago, it really was like really out there. And we weren't, you know, we weren't traditional founders in so many ways. So we really had to prove ourselves in in a lot of different paths. But I would say a turning point for us was when we got into Jason Calicanus's launch at the time, Incubator. And when he made an investment in us and um, that program introduced us to a ton of VCs, and we also finally kind of had the right entry point to VCs, which was, of course, a warm intro from a very well-known, you know, exceptional angel investor. And from there, you know, we were able to raise that more significant, you know, 2.1 million seed round. And I think it was a really clear uh, point for us as a company. But I also think that a lot of companies get a, too much funding too early and we see them come and go because they haven't had to figure out so many different things about our customer, about our product, prove so many different things that we know and we have learned and are able to kind of grow and push in that way.
2: So you, you mentioned getting to know the customer. Obviously you, you, we've talked about this a little bit already. You know, you're know, you kind of creating a new category. You know, We've got there's communication platforms, there's collaboration platforms, all those things exist, you're doing something different. It doesn't fit the mold of any of those, right? So how do you go about both building a brand while at the same time, really building a category? So what, what, what have you done? And what have you learned? Learned so much. Yeah.
0: yeah.
1: <laughs> I mean, we're just yeah. at the beginning uh, in terms of building the category. I mean, that's a long, that's a really long term project and goal. So we're really just getting started on that, on that front. Yeah. Building the brand that's been a little bit of a a process. I think we're like getting better and better in terms of honing in on exactly like where we, where we want to be, but we have really talented teammates and we've, we've done a really uh, good, good job. I think in terms of like defining who we want to be kind of in the marketplace, what we want to stand for, what our internal values are that kind of drive the business decisions and all that kind of stuff.
0: Yeah, it's definitely been a process, I would say. I mean, we really, when we were first kind of building product and everything, we were very open. Like we put, we like, we kind of knew how the product should work and we had ideas about where it would fit in a company, but we didn't make a lot of assumptions there. And we got it in front of a lot of potential buyers or customers, and then really seeing the value from the product and hearing how they described it. You know, like what are the, what, what does it do for them?
2: Talk about how, how did you get your first customers?
0: So we, <laughs> we had MVP of product and we had some intros to different companies from advisors, or we did some cold outreach to talk through kind of, hey, will you pilot this? Will you give this a try? And then ultimately of course, will you pilot and pay for this? and you know now of course will you pay for this so it's a little bit of a yeah i think i think it was through intros through being really open to use cases and looking for those early adopters and champions
4: and i think it's a good time to plug in for you guys that you have some pretty impressive client logos on your website there's amazon Google, Capital One just to name a few. I know you also work with some sports teams, is that correct? Kudos to you guys. I I'm just loving this conversation. I'm loving everything I'm hearing. And I love the fact that you guys are doing this together as a couple, as a husband and wife, because I think that there's still a lot of taboo around couples working together. And so I'm, I'm curious, Noah and Amanda, did you feel being in Silicon Valley, which comes with, you know, just saying the word Silicon Valley, just saying, you know, we're moving to California to start a tech company comes with a ton of gravitas. It comes with a ton of imagery and, and memes and, and information. You know, and I'm thinking of that HBO show that we used to watch, Mike. Well, it was like a Silicon Valley. You know, it comes with all these preconceived notions. Did you feel that being a husband and wife, co founding tech partners, did you feel that, that that you had some friction, or was there some bias, or was there some inherent nose snubbing that was coming because because of that? You know, and then my especially
2: as it goes for like you know getting funding,
4: getting funding, right?
0: You know, we. I think luckily
4: we didn't encounter a
0: lot of that. I think there's been enough success stories from Cisco, VMware, Eventbrite, et cetera, et cetera. Third Love. There's so many success stories of husband-wife founding teams. And if
4: you know them, please invite them to the show. Just saying. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely.
0: Yeah, there's so many, I think, out here. And I think it is investor by investor. You know, if if some investors who have had bad experiences with married founders, I think that that can like be an issue for them. But I heard an investor say one time that married founders, when it works, it's like the biggest competitive advantage and superpower in the world. And when it doesn't work, It's very damaging and horrible, right? So it goes one way or another. So when it works and they understand that it works and they can talk to our team members and they can talk to our other investors and they understand what a superpower it is. And I mean, I think that we always made the case and continue to make the case that how many founding teams completely fall apart? Like they've taken one semester at like MIT together and then they're like, let's start a company, right? Which of course is like, a marriage in and of itself it's like the most challenging thing i think you can ever do there's endless like issues of team building and culture building and how principled you are and what's your work ethic you know what are you willing to sacrifice so if you're aligned in that way as a couple then i think that that's where it really becomes um a superpower. So i don't think we hit a lot of friction there i think yeah i don't know i think as we just yeah. a few
1: spots i think and yeah. And, and yeah it's very it's pretty rare actually
0: yeah, surprisingly so.
4: That's fantastic. And that's great to hear that that not only you think that being married is a superpower, but that your investors and you know friends of your company and, and supporters of your company also agree to that as well. And it sounds like your employees are also very on board with that idea as well. My next question is regarding being a mother and starting a company with a newborn. Now you have two kids. But did you feel friction? Was there like an inherent biases about a young mom in Silicon Valley very much pregnant and then with a child with a newborn starting a tech company? How was that experience for you?
0: So I try to not think about that. <laughs> i try to I try to just not have it in my head when I was fundraising. That people would think that or question that or have issue with that. For me, that's like a, it's just a strategy for myself. I don't like thinking about that or knowing even the statistics, even though I, of course, know all the statistics about funding numbers. But I always, you know, I kind of know who I am and I know how hard I work and I know what I'm capable of. And so I I think that makes me feel confident in that way. I see other founders and I know what my superpowers are, like those kinds of pieces. So yeah, and I think too, like that's where having a really incredible co-founder is so important. Like Noah knows those things about me and I know those things about him in a different way. So I try try not to let it get in my head. I also think like if that's an issue for someone, then they're likely not the right founder. I mean, the right investor, because they just like aren't, really evaluating correctly, you know, versus kind of who we are as as people.
4: That's really good good feedback and good advice. And it's clearly a strategy that you said, okay, you know what, I'm not going to let anyone's preconceived notions of me being a, a new mom derail me from achieving this goal, which is a beautiful strategy, hard to do, I would imagine. But having the partner that you do, not only in life, but in business, has allowed you to be confident in that regard. Okay, I have a really burning question, but I have to go back to something because you guys have said superpowers a few times. And so I want to know what you think, Noah, what you think Amanda's superpowers are, and Amanda, what do you believe Noah's superpowers are?
1: Um...
0: Can me to go first? I've got. I've got
1: I got <laughs> them. Let me let me go. Uh, yeah. I'd say vision and leadership, really, like um, be, being able to put forward the vision, specifically in this case, of like for the company, and then kind of like leading the team, being kind of like the main spokesperson for the company, always being in front of customers, investors, and driving the vision forward for the company. Does that sound right? Yeah. That's yeah. Right. Okay. That's right.
0: I, I would say problem solving and patience to problem solve. I think that that's like, for sure, Noah's superpower. I always say like, if you want to like have a baby in a pandemic and have to continue leading a company in a pandemic, like you want Noah like stable as can- <laughs> You
4: want you want Noah as your baby daddy, right? <laughs> <laughs> like every founder and every partner needed a Noah during this- Okay, well, I- I'm sorry to disappoint our audience, but ladies, he's taken, so. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but yeah, but patience. And so I, I'm i more urgent, I would say, and like way less, I don't have a lot of patience. And Noah has a lot of patience. And I think that when you are, one, managing a team, two, like, solving problems, working through really complex problems in a company, both of those approaches are right. And that's a point where we have friction and it's the right kind of friction where we reach a better outcome for sure by being founders, co-founders. So I'm, uh,
2: I'm curious, based on these superpowers, what, I'll go all the way back to the founding of the company, I guess. Was it that, Amanda, you sort of had the idea of, based on your experience, that you just go to no one and say, hey, can you solve this problem for me? Can you build this thing? Is that kind of how it worked when you started?
0: Was a little bit more, I would say, collaborative in that way. But yeah, but definitely, like I identified it and had kind of, hey, like there's something here, and then we start talking about like what can we do with this. Yeah, yeah,
1: I would say, um, even though we kind of have kind of like a natural split, and um, like Amanda would naturally kind of lead the business side, and I would lead the product side. It's it's very collaborative and has been from the beginning. Um, on both sides. On both sides, uh, on both sides, sides of yeah, the business.
2: for sure. So one of the things we always like to ask of our couple is, you know, how did you, how did you end up deciding who's going to do what in the company? And I mean, it seems like just based on your experiences that that was fairly natural for you, but I'm curious, you know, was it, or and maybe, and has it evolved since, you know, I mean, you guys have like 20 some employees at this point. Yeah.
0: It was completely natural and it always has been. I think we, don't step on each other's toes, I don't think, but we're very collaborative in those different ways. I also will say, going back, Gabby, your question about Mary founders, this is something that investors wanted to hear, which is like that I have more equity stake in the company and that I'm the final decision maker. And a lot of married couples—they're like co-CEOs of a tech startup or something like that—and that's a point of friction for investors. It's like at the end of the day, who's going to make the decisions? And so, yeah, I think that that's something else that they like to hear, and that's important. I mean, that is important internally. That at the end of the day, like, you know, I might just call a decision. There's a boss.
4: So Noah, how do you? I mean, it, it sounds like this—this this is a non-issue in the working relationship. But in the marriage, let's talk a little bit about that. I mean, Amanda, you're the CEO of the company. How do you guys make decisions as a family? You know, taking your work, your she work. She's the home. CEO at home too. Okay, I love that answer.
1: <laughs> I mean, collaborative. It's a, yeah, sure. it's very collaborative, and you know, we we have different different strengths on in the business and and at home.
0: Most things we like to talk over with the other person, and I, I think that that's always been how we are. We know that we'll get to a better outcome with the other person engaged and involved. Yeah, I just think that's where we really are complementary.
4: Um, very early on in the conversation, you kind of talked a little bit about how, especially in large corporations, but I think in any company, there is, you know, there's biases, there's there's inherent challenges when it comes to collaboration because there's always a voice that is dominant. And Noah, especially with your education background and, and both your experience building this company, I'm sure you spent a lot of time thinking about the psychology of how people make decisions and the psychology of how people interact in group settings. So I'm wondering if you've thought of or, or have any opinions on or, or actual experience with uh, in the situation when of being one person a in the relationship is more dominant in terms of this is how we should do it, we're gonna do it this way. How how does that affect the relationship if you have this background in it, let's say, and what do you think are some strategies that couples that are in that kind of a dynamic where one spouse is very dominant, the other doesn't feel comfortable or is, or is intimidated by, or just feels like, oh, you know what, my wife is gonna make all the decisions, I'm not even gonna share my opinions, or my husband always puts his foot down, What's the point of What's the point of uh, of going up against him? I'm wondering if the the research and the learning and everything that you've discovered based on, upon the workplace also has some correlation to the the home and the marriage. I
1: mean, that's a great question. So the research that we used to design and build Balloon from from the ground up is really focused around groups and not necessarily just one-on-one or, or two people so it it is different in in a lot of ways separately like we're both very honest with each other and put things out on the table which obviously helps you know run the family and run the business and that's why we're good partners like we know how to solve problems together it makes us good partners in that way
4: Well, certainly your relationship of being married co-founders, you know, we don't need to do the, you don't need to read textbooks to provide us some valuable feedback and share with our audience. So I'd love to know, you know, from your perspectives, what are the things that have been so critical and valuable to your success, not only as a married couple, but as business partners? What are some of the things that you have brought to the marriage or that you've had to learn in your relationship? that you would share with our yep. audience? Reliable
1: child care.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, number one. Yeah, yeah. Make, having really strong, I think, team members as child care providers, I think is really important. It's key like, to productivity. It's like, key. Yeah. yeah, it's key. That structure is key. Also, we try to have periods of like a digital detox. I mean, we're not good at it now, like since COVID and you know, being at home in all of these different ways.
4: Yeah. It's that whole computer human interaction thing, right? It's just everywhere.
0: (laughs) We are interacting with that computer. Yeah. I would say, well, you know, we used to be really, I think more disciplined about having that detox, you know, going for a hike, getting outside is really, really important. But I, I also think that kids are like, they really put a natural divide and joy in your life. I would say in that way, um where it's something that is yeah, that requires work and care and all these different ways. Um yeah. They ground you outside
1: of
4: yes. uh, the, yeah. the,
1: the grind of, of the of building a business.
4: Yeah. And your son, your oldest son is six, our daughter is five, and she has only ever known us to be working from home and you know we're we're a remote company. We work from home. She's only ever known us to be doing what we're doing. And so a lot of her pretend play, a lot of her dialogue, self-dialogue is around hearing what we say at work, you know, about like, I, I heard her one day talking with her Barbies, like, oh, I'm going to go do my emails now. Yep, I got to jump on a phone call. Like, it just blew my mind when I heard her saying that. It was so funny. I wish I had my camera. What, um your son, your older son, Wake, is six. What do you think are some of the lessons that he's learning from you? And what are some funny little anecdotes that you've heard him say or things about work related stuff? Oh my
0: gosh. There's so many. I mean, recently, of course, like he's really funny about, are you on a call with one of your investors? Or like, he'll like come in and be like, are you on the call with Ray? Who's one of our team members? You know, just these kinds of things. He also like put in his wallet, like two business cards. Like he's, like stapled together like a balloon sticker and like an apple sticker and he was like I run two companies balloon and apple and like the you know just that kind of funny stuff like that that's just great he's always of course knowing us to do this and that I think is really important for us like we want him to I mean both of our both of our sons but like to see us going for it and being engaged and involved with life and (laughs) with work and building something and having no regrets as human beings and stepping up to the plate and what we want to do. And so for us, any kind of sacrifice in terms of, you know, time away from him or working really hard is worth it in that way. And we weighed those things. That's really important for us that he sees that in, in his parents.
2: Your idea and your company has been around for a little over five years now, right? And if I'm not mistaken, kind of the the, the idea or the concept of you know the idea of meritocracy kind of really became popular with you know Ray Dalio and his whole thing in what 2017 2018. Have you seen that help you guys in terms of building that um, you know that that new category?
0: Yeah, I would say all these different pieces have helped. So I would say like like thought leadership like that, like Ray Dalio principles, making it really clear around like, um, I would say like candor, who wrote that? Radical name? candor. Radical, yeah, radical candor. I would say like all of these different pieces that made some of that research and some of those those business approaches more accessible to people, I think is helpful. I would say a push toward remote and a need for people to be engaged and more included in conversations and also with incredible uncertainty and the need for guidance and stability. We saw a big jump in engagement and expansions with our customers, you know, at the onset of the pandemic and now. So I would say all those things kind of laid the groundwork in some ways, just the changing future of work, all critical pieces.
4: That's a beautiful segue for one of our, our concluding questions. So what is the next big project that you're working on, either for work or for life?
0: So there is a big one for work that we can't say anything about yet. Okay, okay. It's a big one. And I I can't say that one of the things that we've been focused on or thinking about is how do you bring other leaders into the product of balloon? And so that's um, been one of our cores. Like how do you help our customers be guided by other business leaders and experts? So we're working on something big in that area to be announced soon. And that's, I mean, that's been like all focus. Yeah, yeah. I like can't think of anything else outside of that. But uh, yeah, that's what we've been focused on.
4: Well, and in the start of the pandemic, you had a pretty big life change. You had a, your second son was born. So that was in J- January or April. 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 Oh, April. Okay. Oh, gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. Timing. Duh. Beautiful. Pretty pretty low. Pretty
0: pretty low. Yeah.
4: Um, <laughs> What day in April, just out of curiosity? April second. April second. Okay, cute. I'm an April baby. That's why I ask. So you, I mean, so you had a pretty big life change recently that happened right at the beginning of the pandemic. and now you have this big sort of top secret but very exciting development that you're that you're working on for work. So we'd love to see that come to fruition and and we'll be rooting for you guys online and eagerly waiting to see that uh, that that announcement. We've talked a little bit about this, but I'd love to if you guys can share some final thoughts. What advice would you offer other spouses or life partners looking to start a business together?
0: I would say go for it, like don't wait. There's like never a better time than now. You'll never like we always say we don't know one founder who like regrets starting too early. I would say you're just always going to learn and you're going to make mistakes and then you're going to have time to learn more. And then The part about like limiting, like don't limit yourself. Don't tell yourself no before someone else tells you no. We see this all the time, I think. I think so much of leading a team too is like making everyone feel and think like founders where they're really just like, you have to go for it. You have to like ask for things. You have to like be limitless and don't make assumptions about who's gonna say yes, who's gonna say no to anything. It's really just about going for it.
4: So we kind of, we talked a little bit about this regarding your superpowers. um, And we typically ask our guests at the end of the conversation, you know, what is one thing, your quality that each of you bring to your business, but rather than business, let's talk about life. Let's talk about the marriage and the relationship. So what is one thing that each of you bring to your life, to your marriage that you couldn't do without? So Noah, you'll answer that about Amanda and Amanda, you'll answer that about Noah.
1: So, what she brings that you couldn't live without? Yes, Mm. (laughs) I would say drive, like, uh, or yeah, just like unrelenting drive, and it kind of ties into the vision that we talked about earlier, which is our superpower and knowing where she and we want to go.
0: I would say there's so many. First of all, I'll say that first. There's so many. But I would say strength and stability, I think, is really um, key. Just steady, steady, calm, non-immediately reactive to challenging situations and and just solving problems in general. And then I would say really, (laughs) really um, just good timing about things, like just funny, clear, perfect timing when the mood needs to be lightened, I think is one of Noah's like incredible superpowers. Like when, you know, I had to get dropped off at the hospital to walk in by myself and deliver the baby at the start of the pandemic. And, you know, there's people with hazmat suits approaching me and I turn around and Noah's in the car and he's like, this is good. You're good. Like nothing to worry about here. You know, just that kind of timing and the calmness um, is just really, really, yeah, powerful in all aspects of our life.
4: Awesome. Well, thank you guys so much for sharing about your life, about your family, about your kids, about Balloon. If we have listeners out there that would like to get in touch with you and that want to buy Balloon right now and get a subscription for their company, how can they do that? Where can they find you?
0: Yeah, so they can find us at getballoon.com you Can sign up right there. And then, of course, across all platforms, um, we are at Balloon Platform there as well.
4: Awesome. Awesome. Well, Noah and Amanda, thank you guys so much for being such amazing guests on our show. We have adored this conversation and we look forward to seeing your future successes and hopefully bringing you back on for another awesome episode of Mixing Business with Pleasure. That'd be wonderful. Thanks so Thanks. much for having us. Thanks so
2: much. Well, that was a fascinating conversation. We love talking to couplepreneurs who have built successful businesses. And one of the keys to a successful business is effective marketing. Luckily, Gabby and I run a B2B digital marketing agency called Proofpoint Marketing. Our team specializes in driving profitable revenue for technology and manufacturing companies by diving deep into customer insights. We really strive to understand the customer. We build out the ideal customer profile and personas. And using that, we create highly targeted demand generation and performance marketing campaigns. We are offering a free consultation for our listeners. This isn't just a sales call, and it isn't us simply giving you a canned automated audit report. We are going to do our due diligence prior to the call. The plan is to talk about real marketing issues your organization is facing and discuss potential solutions. Head on over to proofpoint.marketing and get in touch. We look forward to hearing from you.
3: Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Mixing Business with Pleasure. We hope you'll join us next week as we feature another pair of co-founders who are also lovers and are proving that business and pleasure really do mix well together. If you've enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts.